Welcome to the Ask the Experts podcast. Here's Karen Bhatia. I am Karen Bhatia. This is Ask the Experts. And thank you so much for joining me. I will be speaking to Jonathan Lear. You may know him as Ringwalk John. He hosts the Ringwalk podcast. We're going to talk about everything that's going on in the world right now. Of course, the global pandemic, how it's affecting sports. We're going to talk about what he's been up to. We're even going to talk about his journey, his process. How did he get to uh, the outlets he's at right now in terms of writing, podcasting, and a lot of sports betting talk. There's a really interesting situation if you look at the rumors of Errol Spence coming back to fight Danny Garcia. Now, if this was just your regular old fight, Spence would be a huge favorite. But as we know, Spence was in a horrific car accident it took him a long time to come back and he isn't taking a light opponent he's jumping right back in there against Danny Garcia how does that affect the odds what's the right bet in a situation like that I'm going to talk to Jonathan Lear about that and then I also spoke with Tavares Thunder Cloud now I'm sure that name sounds familiar to you that is because he was the former light heavyweight champion he fought a lot of people in the sport including Bernard Hopkins Gabriel Campillo Artur Biterbiev and many others but he hasn't been in the ring since 2014. Where has he been? What's he been doing? I spoke to him, and you'd be surprised to know that he is actually training for a comeback. That's right. He is training for a comeback, and he's 38 years old. He wants to come back to boxing. So I'm going to ask him what's going on with that, what happened in the last few years, why we didn't see him in the ring, and what's what's next for him, what's the plan for Tavores Cloud. We also look back at some of those fights I mentioned. Uh, he's, he fought Adonis Stevenson, Campillo, and Bernard Hopkins. When he fought Bernard Hopkins, Cloud was 31 years old. Hopkins was 48, and Hopkins actually won that fight. And I asked him if he regrets taking that fight. Did he underestimate Hopkins? And he'll be surprised by Cloud's answer to if he should have taken that fight. But first up, as I said, it is Jonathan Lear. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Ringwalk John. I am Karabatia, and let's ask the experts. I am Karan Bhatia. I'm joined by Jonathan Lear. You know him as Ringwalk John. He's the host of the Ringwalk podcast, a writer for NY Fights. I know there's a lot more that, that you do, John. Uh, or Sorry, we just it's so funny because we, as soon as before we started, I said, do you prefer John or Jonathan? You said Jonathan. I said, hey, you know, whatever just, you want to call me. It's absolutely okay. So, so Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. um, so tell me about, obviously, we all know what's going on in the world right now. It's crazy. Um, where are you and how are you handling everything with the, with the global pandemic right now? Sure. I'm like anybody else. My story, my sob story doesn't deserve any more attention than anybody else's. I'm in Washington, uh, which is, you know, handling this pretty seriously. Uh, it's one of the states that's really, you know, adamant about lockdown. So uh, I have two beautiful stepkids and I play the warden slash teacher. Um, I'm a uh, strength training coach. I'm a United States powerlifting coach. And so gyms are closed. And so that throws a real, you know, wrinkle into things. I thought that this would be the time that I get back to writing because I haven't written in so long. But um, kids have an interesting way of derailing a lot of the plans. So I'm, I'm a lot like anybody else, you know, just waiting for this to all pass, hoping everybody has good health and doing my best to, you know, stay above, uh, stay above water. 
And it, it has been so crazy. Like you said, gyms closed, everything closed. Uh, obviously, live sports has taken a massive hit. And I wanted to talk to you about because I know that you were making an East Coast trip last we spoke in March. Yeah. Um, yeah. You had your flights booked. You were ready to come to New York, right? Because I believe it was Top Rank was doing like a uh, Saturday and a Tuesday show, something like that, right? So you were you were on your way, right? Yeah, it was, you know, I'm, I'm fully just self-funded in everything that I do, right? With the podcast, if I get the chance to do writing or I narrate certain things for audio in the sport, whatever it is, if I'm going to go do it, it's on my dime. And I was like, you know what? Two fights back to back. Um, I have gotten the chance to know Mick Conlon a lot. And if you're going to do, a, you know, an experience that isn't a big, you know, heavyweight fight at msg st patty's day is a fun one to kind of break off so the plan was to go out there i was going to see a stevenson fight and then on tuesday st patty's and i was still this close to going you know the, the <laughs> right. opportunity to do it and you know be a part and and see a lot of the stuff that happens not just at r ringside covering the fight which i did but you know being there for the experience and bring it to the listeners and uh, yeah, then spent the next uh, few days uh, working with all of the websites trying to get back your money, <laughs> you know, because it just fell through. And I mean, thank God uh, that I didn't get caught out there, you know, and have a lot of flight problems coming back. So, you know, I guess I'm lucky in that way. No, it was crazy. I was at the... Um the Barclays Center, I think it was on March 7th uh, for the Robert Hellenius fight um, versus Adam Kovnowski. And it was crazy because yeah. it was a packed arena and then yeah. boom, you know, everything happened uh, the way it's happened. Too. I mean, if you're going to see yeah. that as your last fight, that was pretty surprising. So, I mean, at least you got to get that one. In, yeah. But, uh, and then I remember we were getting ready for those top rank fights and then obviously yeah. they were scrapped as they should have been. Um, so now with everything going on, obviously it's we're in, in late May here now. Um, boxing still not back. There was a car in Nicaragua, I believe, a full a few weeks ago. But in in the way that we are used to boxing with big names and matchups, it's not back as we know. UFC uh, did three events in eight days. Um, I caught you tweeting a little bit about it, so I know that you watched sure. it. I did. What did you think about the UFC events um, bringing back live sports at this time? What What are your thoughts overall? The only reason I really tuned in outside of being like anybody else desperate for sports is there's a close parallel with the combat sports and seeing, you know, I think anything that the UFC and Dana White does right now, it gives a, a loose kind of just blueprint of how things could possibly go moving forward. So I wanted to see what the whole, you know, circus science experiment was like. Um, I'm not a UFC guy. I know a lot of people in combat sports and nowadays, especially to be in the profession of it, covering both is almost a mandatory, right? Um, so I, I tried to spend a lot of time seeing how they do things and then understanding what the writers were saying, what everybody was talking about the experience. Um, these guys have still had the opportunity to train though, in a lot of situations. I think the, the, the big thing that I took away from it is, is it possible? Yes. Uh, is there new fun ways that uh, a promoter can go about, you know, doing things and adding things to a crowdless show? Absolutely. Um, but I'm not a scientist, so I can't say, oh yeah, it's safe or it's not safe. I have to view it from both as a fan and somebody that kind of reports on it. And it looks like from the business side of things, they've laid a successful blueprint. If there's a location, an athletic commission signing off on it, it can absolutely be done. The safety of it, you know, how one of the fighters for UFC, you know, ended up getting tested with it and then his corner got tested with it. 
you know, that's obviously the risk. But from a business slash viewership side, it seems to have gone off pretty successfully. And it looks like the next one that they're going to be doing at the end of uh, the month will be in Vegas. So it, it looks like it's going ahead and laid a good blueprint for top rank and, you know, PVC to zone. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So I'm, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up. I'm, I'm one of the few, I guess, that I love boxing and I love mixed martial arts and sure. UFC. I, I love both. Um, I'm a big fan of combat sports in general. I love covering yeah. both. Um, it seems like a lot of people are one or the other. Um, but with, with these UFC events, it's, you know, before it happened, the concern was, Hey, let's make sure that, the procedures, the tests are not being taken away. The hospital beds are not being taken away from people who are suffering from coronavirus. Now, they were able to find a way that they're able to get testing for everyone there, make it safe, um, and make it work. So I, I actually think that's great. I applaud them for doing so because I do think just us as sports fans, just for our sanity, um, it's great to see live sports, especially combat sports. So I salute them for doing that. So now this obviously opens up the doorway to boxing. Obviously, it's going to be crowdless. Um, there's been a couple rumors, things. Top Rank is talking about a show in June. Um, right. There's other promoters out there. Uh, Eddie Hearn nice talked show. about, right, and Eddie yeah. Hearn talked about backyard brawls as a possibility <laughs> on the compound. Like so yep. what are you hearing about when and where sure. and who we're yeah, going to see yeah. uh, uh, boxing early again? Early June, Shakur is going to get back in, and I think that's the way most promoters are looking at it. If you were next in line before this pandemic happened, it would make sense as long as you know everything works out well with competition, you're the first up. Uh, and you've heard promoters kind of say that. We offer it to you. We af- we say you're first up and you go. Um, Shakur is in a similar position to uh, Jamel Herring, who's also going to be fighting in early July. These guys are in a place now where they're training with BOMAC. And so they've been getting training. They're in one of the states where there's allowed training. Uh, and th- But that's going to also be one of the problems with fights coming back. Shakur Stevenson's uh, opponent, Rivera, was uh, scratched today uh, because of travel issues and so you're going to have a hard time finding either people under the same promotional banner uh whether they need to be ranked per the belt that the you know champ if it's a championship fight you know etc and then these guys need to have training i was uh, talking with andrew cancio yesterday signed a new deal with top rank and he had signed on with dan goosen as his trainer and i was asking him how that was going and one of the things he said is i'm in california i work a nine to five i can't train I can't work pads. I can't spar. And I think that's going to be the big issue in getting a lot of dates because there's a lot of guys that aren't going to just jump in to a combat sport without working, you know, uh, against a a partner in sparring. And that's going to be one of the big issues moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, there is a, a you know, a theory there. You were supposed to fight now, you'll get the first fight in. But at the same time, it's almost like a fresh deck here because everyone is available. No one just fought. Um, People who had injuries hopefully had time to recover from those. So in a way, you could say a lot of big matchups could be made once the ability to, for fighters to train regularly happens. That may not happen for all fighters right now. It's, it depends on their individual situation, where their gyms are, who they're training with. Um, the news did come out that eventually, hopefully in the fall, we will see Errol Spence uh, versus Danny Garcia. That fight was supposed to happen in January. We all know about Spence and the car accident. Um, there's been talks about Manny Pacquiao, right, and fighting maybe Jesse Vargas at some point. So 
What are you hearing about sure. the big matchup, some of the stars in, a, in our sport uh, coming back to boxing? Well, I mean, we hear everything usually first on Twitter, and then it's right. a matter of talking to mutual friends and finding out details, et cetera. The hard thing is, is the details. There's, there's actually, when you talk to trainers, a lot of fights that are set, but they're saying, we need to wait for a date. We need to find out if there's still a potential of having a live gate for some of the bigger fights. And so while Errol Spence and Danny Garcia is supposed to be happening, the date is going to be a real question. If in the next month or two, you have, you know, people able in certain states to have a live gate that could bump those fights sooner or later. It's a good fight, man. Uh, Errol Spence isn't doing any ducking going up against Danny Garcia. Um, I, it the real question mark for everybody and i'm a handicapper that's why most people listen to my show is that i do a lot of sports gambling when you're looking at putting a wager on somebody like that in that situation you're guessing on an unknown i mean the guy literally had his you know teeth anchored in now and wh what does that feel like when you start getting hit so that's going to be a good fight but who knows what happens and the fallout from that is who's manny pacquiao going to be fighting uh and there's rumors you know that we talk about off mic because we don't want to get in trouble with anybody um eddie hearn has been adamant that you know he would love to take a fight there uh with mikey garcia to saudi arabia uh there's all kinds of ideas uh and that's going to come down to money and when you're thinking about a big pay-per-view and money and all of that a big gate also matters so if it wasn't saudi a fight with manny pacquiao i would think has to be in front of a live crowd and when that can happen and where we just don't know yet we just don't know. And and I wanted to talk a little bit about your journey and your process. But before we do, you said something interesting that I wanted to ask you about. Your One of your expertises, as you said, was uh, handicapping fights, sports betting, things of that nature. So when you have a situation like Errol Spence, we knew how good he was. And then we had the car accident. And and it is it is a good, a fair point that even if he's training, even if he feels 100%, he feels like the his old self, right? He could get in the ring. Danny Garcia could land a patented hook and that could uh, bring, you know, bring back some, something could happen related to that car accident where something, you know, some surgery had something negative could happen. And that changes the entire dynamic of that fight in a way that we just weren't prepared for. So yeah. how do you handicap a fight like that or a situation like that when there is a big unknown there? Sure. Well, first off, the shows ask the experts. There are no experts when it comes to handicapping. I mean, <laughs> you are literally throwing darts educatedly. So that being said, uh, we've had some luck doing handicapping boxing. When you're looking at a situation like this, I hate variables. I talk about this on the show. Uh, one of the worst odds in Vegas is the roulette wheel because there's so many different slots that it can land in. And when you're talking about a guy who flipped out of a moving car, you know, 100 miles an hour and rearranged his face, that's a lot of slots on a roulette wheel that I'm saying there's some unknown. Um, and you don't know until he gets punched. So even though you can arguably say, gosh, yeah, Errol Spence, in my mind, uh, what I would think he would want to do is avoid a lot of damage. And he's got a lot of size. He, he's naturally much bigger. Uh, and, you know, Danny's coming up from 140 and been, you know, running a successful campaign at 147. But you're talking about a bigger guy very fast. And I think he's going to 
stay away from those hooks, stay away from those overhands. Speed isn't going to be something that he's lost, we don't think. We haven't heard any of those injuries. So if I'm looking at handicapping a fight like that, without seeing any video, hearing anything from camps or anything like that, I would think that Errol would play it safe in a first fight back, not get into a firefight with what he knows his opponent is good at, and maybe work his way to a points victory. And I'd love to see what the odds are on that. Right now, the odds have settled in the States at minus 260, meaning you've got to lay 260 to win 100 on Spence. And Garcia is about a two to one. So you get uh, 200 back for every $100 that you bet. And when there is an unknown like that, uh, you talked about the roulette wheel, and that makes a lot of sense. Who is the better, the person who's placing the bet, are they at a disadvantage is or is the house at a disadvantage? Mm-hmm. Because at the same time, the house also is playing with this unknown information. Now, if if the accident never happened, right? Obviously, we would all have Spence would be the clear favorite. He's undefeated. Uh, um, he's been he's you know he's been beating everybody that, that he's faced. Garcia, we've seen the vulnerabilities. We've seen him lose before. So Spence would be a strong favorite. But obviously, Vegas would set that line so that people put in money are right. willing to take that risk on Danny Garcia, or you put in money on Spence, and then your return is obviously not equal to that to your the money that you put in. But now with the variable. Is it is it uh, a, an unknown, which is actually a negative for both the sports better and the house? Um, it depends on how much action they get. The The house's job isn't always to set exactly where, you know, they think, like, say, for a football game, because it's very much easier to do because there's a point spread. Just because somebody puts uh, a, a book, puts somebody as a three-point favorite, doesn't mean they necessarily think that's going to be the case. Right. They're getting as much two-way action on those things. Now, with boxing, it's hard to get that two-way action. They just want to limit their exposure. If this fight was made without that accident, you're looking at uh, a good uh, prognosticator is uh, Jim Carras. And he was talking about previous fights like him against Porter that opened up at minus 500 and almost to a thousand. So I think books are already kind of wanting to be careful of getting hurt on the flip side of having Danny Garcia as a huge underdog and having to pay out a lot of money. And that's why you see those shortened up odds because it really is an unknown. So a book is instead of saying, Hey, minus 500, we're opening this maybe at half that and minus 250. and Garcia, we're not going to be paying out four times the money if he gets a victory, because we don't know if Errol Spence can take that shot. And, and like I said, I wanted to talk a little bit about your journey, you know, before we move on last question yeah. uh, about this is so when, where do you rank boxing in terms of um, profitability for betting in terms of boxing versus other sports? And obviously, if you look at like the history of boxing, right, it seems like in terms of things like, you know, we used to see in old timey movies and things like that, like, oh, you know, this guy's going to take a dive or, you know, boxing, having as many um, different controlling uh, entities as it mm-hmm. does, right? It's not it's not the overarching um you know like the way ufc has it or other big sports have it it's different entities that makes you think oh if i bet on this is there any way that it could be open to some kind of corruption or something like that sure where do Uh, you and and the last part of that is um there's also technically less variables because it's one guy versus one guy versus a team sport there's more things that could go on so where do you rank boxing in terms of betting and 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 how you compare it to other sports sure for people that want to hear more of what that actual corruption is like in in the history of boxing etc there's a great book by jeffrey sussman it's called boxing and the mob and it details all the different problems that they've had traditionally um you're right there's only one fighter going up against each other but what's happening in those lives of those fighters in those training camps what injuries are hidden what guy is you know coked up going into fights who's on drugs you don't know and performance enhancing drugs etc so while there's only one guy so that you would think that the variables in a team sport 
you know, maybe one guy being off a little bit doesn't affect right. the game because there's 10 other guys. As far as the profitability of it, there's been times last year where I'm like, this is just like, you know, pick and paint. This is easy. This is so much fun. It's the easiest thing to do because we know fighters characteristics, traits. We know, you know, the opponents. And if you study them enough, it's very profitable that way. There's no point spreads. You can bet a winner. You can bet a loser. The hard thing is, is when you fall in love with certain guys and you have to pay out a hell of a lot to make money. Like right. the, the previous example on Errol Spence, you want to risk a thousand bucks to make a hundred. It hurts a hell of a lot to take that <laughs> loss. And then right. you're trying to make that up 10 times. Uh, it's profitable. It can be profitable, but it takes a lot of discipline. And it's not just picking fighters, but understanding which way the dollar's going to go. If a line opens up at minus 200 and you miss that, and then it goes to minus 500, even if the guy was to win, you're not going to win every fight. And so you want to mitigate your losses based upon where line movement is. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's very similar, I guess you could say, to stocks is wanting to find out the right prices. You, you, you hope that you're going to be picking a winner, but you definitely don't want to go all in on one thing at one time or else you're going to be looking at zeros in your bank account. And if it wasn't for boxing handicapping, I don't know if I would have the DSL to turn this on with the unemployment. So I guess it does well you know, enough to get you by. It's a lot of fun, though, and I encourage people that have a good time with it you can set up accounts really easily online bet 10 bucks it's fun and you kind of get an idea for it and you can check the lines it's a good time absolutely no that that's a really interesting point because uh like i said it's it's one guy versus one guy but to your point if you look at for example the last dance which is a great sports documentary mm -hmm. on jordan and we looked at dennis rodman right we knew that he may be in vegas or wwe or whatever he came back and you could still bet on the bulls because there's still four other guys including of course yeah. michael jordan and you could probably safely say even if rodman isn't playing his best game we know that we have the other guys there in boxing, that's a little different because you have to decide how is this situation going to affect this guy, just like mm -hmm. we're talking about with Errol Spence. So with that said, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your journey, how you know, you've obviously uh, been a writer in boxing. Mm -hmm. You host the podcast, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so how did your journey begin? Did you go to school for journalism? Um, oh, what did, just tell me a little bit about the, uh, the origin story here. No, I wish I was a better writer. I wanted to write boxing and I've had the opportunity to write, you know, some columns for some people and cover some fights, et cetera. Um, and then most of the people that I've interacted with, they responded a lot more to the podcast. And I don't know if that's because of the voice or because I don't rethink everything that I'm saying. I, when I'm writing, you know, it takes like 50 attempts to do what I'm actually trying to portray. So um, no, when I went to school, I thought I was going to be a pastor because that's what all of the men in my family are. Okay. So once I didn't go that route, you know, I just wanted a job. And so I started working jobs and I, I learned a hell of a lot more about boxing by working, driving a truck and working with all the guys in the back, betting on fights with all the guys, et cetera. And I've, I've watched the sport forever. And then with the new, you know, digital age and media, there's more of an opportunity to at least be heard. And uh, there's a, what I personally felt was a little bit of value with the handicapping. And I said, well, okay, that's going to be my little niche, I guess, because Lord knows there's so many fantastic writers in a sport that has so many stories and there's so many ways that people convey those stories. 
I'm just betting on the stories right now and hoping for the opportunity to utilize the voice a little bit more over time, you know, within the sport. But as you know, and with your career around with HBO and boxing, et cetera, it's hard for people, you know, trying to work their way in. So you just got to continue to put out content, try to be of a value to the listener and uh, hope something sticks. And I know that you, when I asked you, um, I said, hey, tell, you know, tell me a little bit about your history. You said you went to the School of Hard Knocks, no college, started yeah. working at 15 because you wanted to get a car to get girls. So were you able to get a car to get girls when you were 15? I got the car. <laughs> See, the problem yeah. was, is that I didn't have, I, I was stuck with this ugly mug. So, you know, <laughs> it was a little bit harder, you know, with the girls for a long time. And that's when I got into the training because this, this and this wasn't going to get me by. So, you know, I started doing the, you know, the exercise to try to make it work and it all turned out in the end, I got the best girl in the world. So I, I, I really can't complain about that, but uh, you know, doing that, working that way, you know, working your way up. And I would, I, was driving a truck for a medical company. I ended up being the vice president after 15 years. There's a lot of parallels to hard work in, in your personal life and boxing, you know, and, and getting to go through those things and just learning everything on your own. And it's the same thing that I'm doing with this stuff in boxing. It's just pick up a mic, pick up a pen, start covering it and see what happens. And I've been blessed enough to get to a place where I'm here on your show. And you're here on my show. And of course, you have your own show that we talked about the ring walk podcast, I, I believe yeah. you're up to episode 66, um, yeah. which is great. Congratulations on, on the success with that. So with the podcast, um, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had with the podcast things that you didn't realize that you were going to have to deal with along the way? Sure. Uh, one is having a very small house and setting up all the audio and having the kids run down and want to play their Pokemon or book Bakugan, the dog barking, you know, uh, work, et cetera. That's, that's tough. And I think too, if a lot of times, and you can go back to the early podcasts, although I don't encourage anybody to listen to the earlier ones, it's, it's being prepared. I, I, I do feel sometimes guys can just go right off the top of their dome and say whatever they say and do whatever they do. For me, it's laying out, hey, this is exactly how this works. I try to pride myself on good segues, audio, quality, high, you know, all that stuff. And it's a it's a labor. I don't just grab some random mic and, you know, start talking about who I like, you know, in the fight game. And so that's that's been the real process is figuring that out and then going about doing it in the right way where you're going to be respected in boxing circles, you know, contacting the right PR guys, getting your name out there, saying, hey, you can trust me to come on this show. You know, I'm asking the right questions, keeping information, which is sometimes very hard to do because you want to get people to listen to your show. And what better way than to announce that this guy's fighting this guy before it's out anywhere on social media, but dancing around that. So there's a lot of aspects that go on behind the scenes as you try to grow it. And I'm still a very small show and, you know, in regards to a lot of guys out there that have been doing it for a long time. You know, I have a few thousand listeners, which is great. And I'm so grateful for that. And I think that's where the, the handicapping aspect is kind of added, you know, to bring stuff along. But otherwise, it's, it's the preparation and making sure that, you know, at late at night or early in the morning when the kids are still sleeping, try to bang out as much as you can. <laughs> and outside of actually writing or podcasting, do you have any daily habits, anything, you know, um, do you, I know that you are a power lifter, so I'm sure that plays into your routines. Oh, yeah. Do you meditate? Is there, what, what is your kind of daily process or routine that helps you do what you do? 
Uh, if I were to try to set an exact daily process, I'd probably be the type of person that would get frustrated because there's so many variables, you know, yeah. with, with kids and especially nowadays with trying to find work wherever you can and working telephone lines for unemployment. I mean, there's a lot that can kind of get in your way. I do exercise regularly and I, that's just part of life. You know, that, that, that becomes like brushing teeth, you know, you just go in and bang away as much as you can with the weights. Uh, if I guess if you were to ask the missus that, it's <laughs> I cannot not be productive. If I didn't bring some money home or at least make myself better in some kind of way, shape, or form, then, and that sounds like it's not humble, it's it's a hard thing to do. Uh, I've, I beat myself up if I'm not being productive. So at least do something that day where you felt like you can go to bed and say, I did something, whether it's good for the kids or you know good for the missus or whatever the case may be, good for your own body. And I read a lot. That would probably be the other thing that I... That's one the one place where I mentally let myself go is reading. And I read just a heck of a lot. And so that that kind of helps out too. Yeah, absolutely. No, that that's that's great advice um for anyone listening. So to kind of to close it out a little bit, we're yeah. all dealing with the negativities of going, you know, what's going on in the world as we talked about. Um anything that that that's keeping you positive, any anything that you're looking forward to, um, any any kind of words of wisdom that you that you want to share? Sure. Uh, at the end of every single podcast, I call it my corny segment, like my Kriegel segment, you know, where you're piecing <laughs> everything together. But I literally every single at the end of every single show, I encourage people like I'm somebody that has dealt with PTSD. And in these times, it is really easy to feel like you want to throw in the towel. And my biggest encouragement to any listener is one, if there's issues, you'd be surprised at how many people care. So to reach out and they can reach out to me by email, they know where my contact is. But just understand that all you got to do is get through this round, which is today. I'm totally worried like so many people about so many other things, right? That's what's tomorrow, what's next week, what's the next bill, what's all of this that I have to deal with. But what you can deal with is right now. And as long as you don't throw in the towel, you're going to make it to the next round. And that's how we win the fight is you go to the scorecards because in the scorecards of life, it's just about doing the best that you can at the end and your hands raised. So I have to, if I say that all the time on the podcast and I got two kids that are looking up to me and a missus that, you know, I have to keep the lights on. I have to believe that for myself. And so the things that I'm looking forward to, man, is coming back on the show, having you on my show when there's actual fights to talk about, <laughs> where we actually have like real content instead of top 10 middleweights from 1980, you know, to talk on. <laughs> Those are the things that I'm looking forward to and getting back to a certain sense of normalcy, Yep. you know, but no, the normalcy will be is is going to be a product of whatever we create each day. And so we just create a positive outlook, atmosphere day to day and know that, you know, we're going to live to fight another one tomorrow. And hopefully, when we make it to those other days to fight, there will be some boxing that we can cover and watch in the meantime. Absolutely. Hey, I'm motivated. Uh, so I hope other people are. And abs absolutely 100%. I'll be on your show anytime. Uh, Jonathan Lear, I want to thank you so much for the time. You can find him as a writer for NY Fights and elsewhere, host of the Ringwalk podcast. Jonathan Lear, thank you so much for the time, for the words of wisdom, for giving us a little bit about your background. And of course, stay safe out there. Yeah, you too, Curran. Thank you very much. And that was Jonathan Lear, a.k.a. Ringwalk John, host of the Ringwalk podcast. Great sports better handicapper. Um, and it was great to hear about his journey uh, to get to where he is today. 
Next up, Tavoris Thunder Cloud, former light heavyweight champion, 24-3 record, 19 knockouts, but hasn't been in the ring since 2014. I'm going to ask him where he's been. He's training for a comeback. Who does he want to fight? So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tavoris Cloud. I am Karan Bhatia, joined by Tavoris Cloud, former light heavyweight champion. So Tavoris, of course, we know what's going on in the world um, right now with the global pandemic. So the first question is, how are you doing? How are you holding up? Where are you? And, and how is everything going? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, uh, corona shut everything down. I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. We just quarantine, stay to ourselves. Uh, eat healthy and uh we're doing all right hopefully it's, it's over soon and we haven't seen you in the ring since 2014 right but i've been following your instagram following your social media so it looks like you've been training for a comeback so is that the plan do you want to get back in the ring and when are you thinking that's going to be uh most definitely uh i want to come back <clears throat> and Every time I, I do it, it uh, is always something that gets in the way. Uh, but I, I'll be back in a few months. I'll be back in a few months. Uh, probably when everything slows down with this quarantine and stuff like that, I'll be back. And and let me ask you this, though, because like we said, 2014, September of 2014 was the last time we saw you in there. So. What did you decide that you wanted to retire, take some time off, or what? What was going on that we haven't seen you in the ring for about five years? Right, I I wanted to take some time off. You know, I I never said uh, retire or or just completely quit. But you know, I took three losses in a row, so I figured that you know it's time to sit down and rethink the game plan, things like that. Um, but 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 I'll I'll be back. Uh, I'll be back this year. Just just some other reasons that I couldn't be in there. That I really don't want to talk about. But I'll be back. Uh, I'm not gonna give no definite dates. But I will be back this year, guaranteed. Well, there you go. We have the guarantee. Now you're 38 years old now. Um, and is that playing a part in, in what you're thinking? Obviously father time is undefeated. We know this, but at the same time, fighters have definitely had success in boxing, uh, later into years. We look at Bernard Hopkins, Manny Pacquiao on and Floyd Mayweather. I mean, there's tons of fighters who have had success on the other side of 35. Um, what are you, what do you feel about your age right now? And is that going to play a factor in your comeback? Uh, yeah, it will. I'll be doing things a lot, a lot smarter. Um, but I, I don't feel old, you know. I, I took care of myself. Uh, I've been been fighting my whole life, you know, uh, training and things like that. Um, uh, it, it's it's going to be better for me. It's going to be better for me, and you know, I had to even even with my fighting style, I had had the opportunity to go back and study myself, you know, study myself and make myself better, work on a lot of weaknesses that I had uh, as a fighter. Um, I look at other fighters as well, you know, uh, uh, just, just studying other fighters and seeing the mistakes they make in business, 
and inside of the ring, you know, I'm just a more well-rounded person now and and fighter. You know, I, I understand it. It's like um, everything is clear to me now. You know, some sometimes you need the you need you need the lights, camera, and action to stop. Well, you need you need to fall from grace to uh, you know find yourself again, and uh, I definitely did that. Absolutely, no. We can hear the uh, maturity in your voice. You have the experience. You, your debut was in two thousand four, twenty seven pro fights. So obviously, the experience is there. So. In terms of your your comeback, are there any specific names that you want to fight? I mean, towards the end of your last few fights, you fought really big names: Hopkins, Bader Biev, Stevenson. You know, we've we these heard of these names. These are champions. Do you want to go in there and try to get a title fight? Do you want a couple tune-up fights? What, what would be the game plan to get back in there? Well, well, as as for right now, boxing is boxing is it, just fun for me, and the the first thing I want to do is uh get the rust off. And however long it takes to get the rust off, you know, when, when I feel uh, feel ready, when, when I have my fluidity back, uh, then, you know, I, I'll keep stepping it up. But it, it's all about having fun with me now, you know, hitting and not getting hit. You know, um, I've been to the top, you know, and I understand that it's what you make it. And. I want to make it into something more enjoyable than, you know, just just training and fighting, you know. You know, you, you got to have fun with it. If you ain't having fun, then it, it ain't fun. <laughs> and and I just wanted to, uh, and I'm definitely looking forward to your comeback. Um, you were, you were an, always an exciting fighter. Uh, I wanted to look back a little bit on your career, some of the great moments that you've had. Um, you turned pro in 2004, like we said. You won the world title in 2009. Uh, in, in you know, 2010, 2011, you were, you were definitely a top fighter in the, in the uh, light heavyweight division. When you look back on what you achieved at that time, I mean, how did it feel at that time? Did you feel like you were invincible on top of the world? Uh, you had a knockout streak. You were, you were beating everybody. So was, was that a good time when you look back? Uh, it, it was a good time, but I never felt, I, I was always my own worst critic. You know, I always felt like I was, I could get better and, and, and do better. You know, I was always pushing myself. Uh, it, it was, it was a lot of infighting going on with, with my training camps and, and, you know, the way I trained and stuff like that. But, you know, I always came to the fight in great shape. Um. Uh, I kind of lost track, lost track of the question. <laughs> so, well, no, uh, just picking it up there. Cause I remember, you know, I was at, I was in St. Louis. This was August of 2010. I remember you were taking on Glenn Johnson and, uh, you were being introduced to that HBO audience and the, there was an outdoor way in and you were flexing and, and you got the job done and continue to have success. One thing, uh, that you had was you were with Don King promotions, right? Um, what was what was that experience like? And if you had to to go back, would you have signed with Don King? Would you have looked elsewhere? What, what was that like? If I had to go back, I definitely wouldn't sign with Don King. But uh, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Don King. You know, I, I don't want to say anything bad bad about him, but uh, Don King, he is a older older promoter. You know, he he's I think he's almost in his 90s now, if if not 90s. And uh, that just, just him being able to 
promote the fights. You know, he he was he was slowing down, and uh, it didn't happen. And it was a lot of uh, bad blood, bad business deals from the past that I had nothing to do with. All over, everywhere, in, in the sport of boxing. So that kind of that kind of slowed me down. You know, his his what I didn't think about is that his enemies will become my enemies, and I know that now because I. Any other undefeated fighter who who is you know uh, power puncher you know not ducking anybody you know they, they should have had a lot more opportunities than we you know but I take it as a lesson not a loss. And of course, Don King, you know, it's been well documented and I don't want you to get into any speculation or anything. The only other question about that was specifically for you, obviously you said he was older, so it was harder to maybe get some of the fights that you wanted. Were there any promises made that didn't happen? Any purses that were short? Anything that just, just didn't seem right during that time? I mean, Don King, he, it was always a hard bargain. You, you, you have to negotiate with him uh, to, to get your money. You know, I, I uh, you know, I always got what what I was supposed to get um, as, as far as what I negotiated on the contract. But it, it was you you would have problems if you tried to move past that that initial amount that that you agreed upon. And, you know, as you get more tighter defenses, as you win more fights, of course, you want money. But, you know, they, they kind of wanted wanted me to stay and what I uh, agreed upon initially. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you about a couple of fights that you had. Uh, you beat Glenn Johnson, like we talked about, knocked out Yusuf Mack. You were a champion. You defended your belt. Um, and then you took on Gabriel Campillo, and you knocked him down twice in the first round. It seemed like watching on TV, though, he was able to at least get up and come back. He had a tough style. I believe he was a southpaw, and he had a, he had a tough, tough style to fight. Was that a tough fight? And obviously afterwards, people some people felt like it was controversial. What did you think? Did you think you won that fight decisively? Right. It it was it it was a controversial fight. You know, uh uh how how all of it started, you know, my, my story on it is that I was training to fight uh Zoltz Erdy and uh Anaheim, California, I believe. So you know, Campillo's style is totally different from uh, uh, Zos Erdi. Zos Erdi is a, a short guy, right-handed fighter, European fighter, and, and Campillo, they, you know, he got thrown in there maybe like six or seven weeks, you know, and and we we took off, and and I had to come back in camp. So you know, I I just think. Uh, Campillo, he he had a good night that night, but you know I've always been willing to rematch him, but you know it it, it happens, man. It it, it happens. <laughs> and another fight I had wanted to ask you about, and I appreciate your honesty there talking about Campillo. Another fight I wanted to ask you about. I was there. It was in March of 2013, and you got to fight the legend Bernard Hopkins. At the time, I believe you were 31 years old. He was 48. Um. Well, but he was he was able to do what he wanted in there. He he won that fight. Um, it was obviously a tough fight. Did you underestimate him a little bit? You know, based on the age difference and things like that. No, I didn't. I didn't underestimate Hopkins. I just, I just, I I wasn't 
as as prepared as I should have been for that fight. And it, it, it was the biggest, biggest fight of my career. I actually should not have took that fight, but it was it was such a big opportunity that I knew that if, if I didn't take that fight, the opportunity would never come again. You know, because I knew Bernard Hawkins, he was on his way out. He was trying to fight everybody he could fight before he retired. And I knew, well, you know, once my name was called, once I got a phone call that if I didn't take the fight, I would never get that opportunity again. So even though I was ill prepared, I still took the fight. So and, you know, what, what whatever come from it, you know, I, I have to deal with it. And I did lose my title. So, you know, I, I deal with it. But, you know, we we win and we lose. You know, you win some, you lose some, you know, but you, but you keep moving. Absolutely. And and you you got right back in there against Stevenson and then Arthur Biterbiev. Now, at the time, Biterbiev was only 5-0, and but we've seen what he's become since then. He's obviously a really tough guy. He he took out a Gavozdik in the last fight, which was just a, a, a crazy brawl. Um with those two fights, any regrets or anything you would have done differently in, in those fights, the one, uh, the last two fights so far of your career, Stevenson and Biterbiev? Uh, train harder. Uh, be more prepared mentally, you know. Um, that's it. Just, just more prepared mentally. And, you know, it, the, the more you fight as a fighter, the more you learn about yourself. You know, and it's some things about yourself that a lot of people don't know right now, you know, until you put in certain situations. But I know a lot about myself. Uh, and when I, when I do come back, when I get back to it, I, I'll use it to my advantage, you know. But they, they, they were all good fighters. I mean, anybody could have lost to those fighters. And uh, I'm just glad I was able to walk out of the ring and still have my health and strength. And, uh, you know, I could, I could still make another run at it. Absolutely. And that's what matters at the end of the day, of course. Um, we know that you're making your comeback, like you said. Um, anything that you plan to do post-career once you finally hang up the gloves? Do you want to become a full-time trainer? Do you want to commentate on the sport? What what would be kind of your second act after you do finally retire? Uh, I, I was thinking about opening up a gym. Opening up a gym and, you know, I just want to make sure that I, I have time to invest in the gym when I do open it and that, that I'm not actually always training for fights myself, you know, and, you know, help help some of the local guys out, you know, whether it's uh, in the Tallahassee, Quincy area or wherever I'm staying at at that time. Absolutely. And so just to close it out, um, any you know, we're all going to be looking forward to your comeback. Any final words uh, to the fans of yours that may be listening or also uh, – you know, any words of encouragement? Obviously, everyone right now is going through a tough time with everything going on. So any any final words? Um, what's the saying? Uh, tough times don't last. Tough people do. <laughs> Keep your head up. Absolutely. Well said. Tavoris Cloud, I want to thank you so much for the time. I uh, wish you all the best. Please be safe in uh, Florida. Looking forward to 
seeing your comeback, and I hope to chat with you again soon. All right. Thank you. And that brings us to the end here. Thank you so much to Jonathan Lear and to Boris Cloud. Thank you for listening. If you want to follow us, uh, you can follow at A-T-E underscore podcast. That's on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow my personal channels, it's at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Karan Bhatia on Instagram and Twitter. Please subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Karan Bhatia. Uh, please check out uh, our show on iTunes. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. If you want to email the show, it's askthexpertspod at gmail.com. This is Karan Bhatia signing off for Ask the Experts. Thank you for listening to Ask the Experts with Karen Bhatia.